This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. to check the locks podcast as always i'm john connor i'm olivia cornu saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case before we get into it olivia this episode is coming out on monday december 5th that means it is your birthday so happy birthday congratulations on turning 22 i'm feeling 22 she's gonna it's a great day the pants off of us Taylor is this fellow Sagittarius. Her birthday is December 13th. Not that I'm a fan or anything, but 33 feels great. Well, that is awesome. I'm glad that you're feeling good. We're recording this episode a few days before your birthday. So I did want to ask birthday plans. We talked a little bit about it in the short on time episode, but I know you said you're usually taking the day off. Weekend is coming up. What do you have planned for your birthday? Well, tomorrow I'm going to go to dinner with some friends. And then Saturday is my work appreciation party, which is kind of like our holiday party. So that's always a fun time. Then Sunday, I'm going to go to a Pelicans game. I got a busy weekend. Can you go into your work appreciation party and just start going wop, 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 wop? Why not? Work appreciation. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. That's hilarious. Maybe a few cocktails in, I could do that. But Right. Welcome to the wop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am glad that you've got plans for your birthday. It sounds like it's going to be a fun weekend, and I appreciate you taking time. I know when it's getting close, you always want to celebrate, so carving out some time to hang out with me on Zoom, I always appreciate it. So thank you for being here, and I hope it's an absolutely wonderful birthday for you. Yes, and I think the biggest thing about 33 is my marathon. Turning 33, running this marathon, and then our listeners never have to hear about it again. (laughs) When is the marathon? It is a week from Sunday. 
Well, I know that you have been training really hard for this marathon. Every time I talk to you, you're like, I've run 9 million miles, touched the sun, and then came back. So (laughs) I'm sure that you are excited to get it over with and to have that accomplishment under your belt. So still rooting for you. I know that you've got it, and I'm hoping that you know it goes as well as you want it to. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. And I know this episode is all about me, and that's fine. But how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Thanks for not being selfish. I appreciate it. Uh, No, I'm doing good. Um, Got a little bit of a funk earlier in the week, and then my wife has got it. So we are trying to get through that. Luckily, the kid hasn't gotten sick yet. So, you know, just trying to stay happy, stay healthy, get through the week. But other than that, everything's been good. Just working and researching these cases. I'm excited for this week. I tried to pick a good one for your birthday. Oh, good, good, good. And I will say we are kind of a sickly bunch and I don't ever get sick. And I I feel like I have been sick since we've been recording this podcast. I'm just spreading my germs over the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to hear about this case. I didn't go through the show notes, but um, it sounds exciting. Well, this is episode number 30. So this is two big deals. It's your birthday. We're 30 episodes in. So I did want to pick a good one to bring and you know, this is one that I had seen bits and pieces of on the internet that always looked interesting to me, but I never really had the opportunity to dive into it until, you know, we started doing the show and things like that. And as I went through, I was like, wow, this story is crazy. So some of our listeners may have heard it. Like I said, I've seen little bits and pieces of it, but I had never gone into it. And I don't know if that's kind of the same for the audience. So I'm really excited to go through it with you, go through it with the listeners and kind of see if this is something that rings bells or, you know, what everybody thinks about it. So well, let's jump right in. You got it. So this week, our case begins on September 22nd, 2006 in Pocatello, Idaho. 16-year-old Cassie Joe Stoddard was house-sitting for her aunt and uncle. Now, Cassie was a normal teenage girl. She was well-liked, and according to her sister, Christy Stoddard, Cassie really seemed to blossom in high school and come out of her shell. She had a big heart, and she loved to help others. Cassie was very driven, and when she had her mindset on something, she would make it happen And like many teenage girls around this time, Cassie had her mindset on her own car. And getting paid to house it for her aunt and uncle was a great way to earn some extra money. Cassie and her boyfriend, Matt Beckham, were picked up from school that Friday by her mother, Anna Stoddard. Both were dropped off at the home around 5.30. Now, Matt was described as a good kid. Cassie's family liked him, and he acted like a gentleman when he was around Cassie. At this point, the pair was just hanging out and watching movies. And I wanted to ask you, Olivia, because... You know, I have memories of being 16 and having these kind of moments of freedom where it's, you know, I'm house sitting for my aunt and uncle and like my high school girlfriend is here. It's one of those moments I think every teenager kind of has, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, I'm alone with the person that I like. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everybody's been house sitting for somebody. Yeah. And as I was going through and doing the research, I found myself really connecting with this age group and like being able to be like, Oh, I remember what those feelings were. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, can I say that in 2006, I was 16. So I am their age group at this time. That's true. Okay. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so you can definitely relate to, you know, what this situation would have been like. Yeah. I've now put myself in my 16 year olds mind hanging out with my high school boyfriend. That's where I'm at right now. Sweet. So this is going to really score on the deadbolt test. I hope so. If he's the murderer, but we don't know. At around 8.30, there was a knock at the door. Matt's friends, Brian Draper and Tori Adamchek, arrived expecting to find a party. Now, a little bit about these two teens. Tori Adamchek was quiet and reserved. 
He described himself as having a passion for filmmaking. Brian was the more outgoing of the pair. He played soccer for Pocatello High and was into computers. All four teens went to the same high school and were known to be friends. Now, Cassie was not thrilled that Brian and Tori had shown up to the home. She wasn't supposed to have anyone over besides Matt. But Cassie was that kind of kid who just didn't want to push away a friendship or anything like that. And she told the pair that they could stay. They decided to watch a movie and they put on Kill Bill Volume 2. Now, at around 920, Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick decided to head to their local theater to see a movie. Shortly after, Cassie got a call from her mother to check in. She shared that they were just watching movies and that she would call her the following day. Now, about an hour and a half later, while Cassie and Matt were in the home alone, the power went out. The outage was quick, but understandably, Cassie was scared. Matt called his parents to see if he could stay over to make sure Cassie was safe. Now, like most parents probably would at that age, his parents refused, but they did offer to let Cassie stay with them for the night. And I can imagine being a 15, 16-year-old boy. It's like, well, mom, she's scared of the power going out. Like, can I just stay the night and like make sure that she's not scared? That's totally a reason to like say you need to stay with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Exactly. And he may have been 100% sincere, but thinking about it as a parent or like some of the stuff that I did when I was that age, just being like, oh, well, mom, it's real late. I don't know if I should drive home. Like I'd be a little tired. You know, I don't know if it's safe. Right. Right. Can I just crash here? Yeah. So again, Matt's parents did say that Cassie could stay with them. But Cassie was responsible and she didn't want to leave her aunt and uncle's pets home by themselves. Matt's parents picked him up around 1115 that evening. That was the last time that Cassie Joe Stoddard would be seen alive. On September 24th, Cassie's aunt and uncle returned home as expected. To their utter shock, they discovered Cassie's body laying in the living room floor. She had been stabbed roughly 30 times. How awful do you think this boy's parents feel right now? One, like, okay, say if they would have let him spend the night, would Cassie have ended up stabbed and murdered? Two, if they would have let him spend the night, what if he would have ended up murdered as well? You know, that's a weird situation. Yeah, and these were definitely questions that I had as I was going through. Because also, as I was researching, you still don't know, like, who played a part in it or anything like that. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of unanswered questions, and that's what really had me wanting to dig in a little bit deeper. It got its hooks in me pretty good. Now, according to Detective John Gansky, it was clear that Cassie had put up an extreme fight. What was interesting was that there was no signs of forced entry and the police couldn't locate the murder weapon. Cassie was well-liked and she didn't have any known enemies, so there was no clear motive. And additionally, no items were taken from the home. The number of stab wounds indicated that the murder may have been personal. Police immediately looked to the last person to see Cassie alive, her boyfriend, Matt Beckham. Right now, I'm not feeling that Matt is the murderer. His parents picked him up at 11.15. How would he have gotten back, and why would he have killed his girlfriend? Right, and Cassie's mom dropped them both off. Yeah. His mom picked him up at 11.15. He doesn't have his own vehicle. So again, I was kind of thinking the same thing as we're going through. It's like, I understand why you would want to look at him, but in the research, it wasn't putting that kind of red flag up, you know? Yeah. Once detectives learned that Matt had been with Cassie on the night of the murder, they were definitely interested in talking with him. Detective Gansky asked Matt if he had noticed anything strange, maybe people hanging out around the property or any cars that seemed out of place. Matt informed the detective that he didn't see anything, but Cassie had been scared by the power outage. Matt also shared that Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick had stopped by, but they were only there for a short time. 
Now, Detective Gansky did feel that Matt was being truthful, but for someone whose girlfriend had just been murdered, he didn't really show much emotion. And because of this, Matt was asked to take a polygraph test. He passed without any issue. So at that point, I think he was off of the police's radar. Like, you know, maybe he's not showing emotion because as a 15, 16 year old kid, like it's pretty easy to be in shock about yeah, something like that. He's in shock. He put, like, like I said earlier, he potentially could have spent the night there. He could have been there and been murdered as well. Or he probably felt that he could have protected her maybe in some way. I mean, he probably has a ton of emotions going through his head at this point. Well, yeah, like survivor's guilt is a very real thing. You know, like Mm -hmm. if I would have been there, could I have stopped this? Or the idea, like you said, like the idea of like, oh man, like if I would have been there, like could it have been me too? You know, like Mm -hmm. I think probably a flooding of emotions that would just cause somebody to be like, I'm shutting down. And then he also just lost his girlfriend. And you know how in love you are in high school. That was his probably best friend and his girlfriend. And Oh yeah, I mean, I was going to marry my high school girlfriend. Everybody thinks that. You're the one. We're going to have 37 kids and you're, you're just going to be mean to me always. So <laughs> now because of the strange power outage, police decided to investigate the fuse box in the basement of the home. They were able to lift a clear set of fingerprints from the box. And those prints were determined to be left by the boyfriend of Cassie's mother, Anna Stoddard. However, when the boyfriend was questioned, his alibi for the night of the murder checked out. He had recently done some work in the home, and that's why his prints were on the fuse box. Police continued to chase down leads, and they decided that they needed to talk to Brian Draper and Tori Adamchek. When questioned by Detective Gansky, the pair shared that they had been at the house to attend a party, but when no one else showed up, the boys stayed for a while, but told detectives that they left to see a movie. It was now two days after Cassie's body was discovered, and police still didn't have a suspect. They were able to rule out a robbery, and they also checked for any other violent crimes in the area on that same night, but nothing turned up. Olivia, you know that I'm a girl, Dad. Of course I do, John. You have an adorable four-year-old. That's right, and I have to be honest, I haven't always been great at picking out the cutest outfits for her, but I have found the solution. Now what's that? Great Lakes Kids Apparel, from dresses, pajamas, raglan tees, rompers, and more. Great Lakes Kids Apparel has everything, and my kiddo loves their clothes. But aren't kids' clothes really expensive? And they wear them out and outgrow them so fast. Well, that's the best part. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes. So no matter how hard your child plays, they last. In fact, I have to fight my daughter to take them off long enough just to get them into the wash. That sounds awesome, but do they take forever to ship? No way. Great Lakes Kids Apparel is based out of Ohio and offers fast shipping, usually within two business days. Plus, they offer free shipping on all orders over $50, and you can sign up for their awesome rewards program and earn GLK bucks. Wow, John, that sounds like I need to send out some gifts from Great Lakes Kids Apparel. How do I check them out? All you have to do is head over to greatlakeskidsapparel.com or click the link in the show description to start shopping today. Again, that's greatlakeskidsapparel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKS at checkout to save 20% off your first order. Because Matt Beckham had passed the polygraph, detectives decided to revisit their conversations with Brian Draper and Tori Adamchek. Again, the teens told the detectives that they had left to see a movie, but surprisingly, neither one could provide any details about the film they had supposedly saw. 
This was extra surprising because, as we mentioned before, Tori Adamchak kind of fancied himself a film buff. So somebody who's really into movies, really into film, you would think if they went to see this movie, tell you who's in it, what the details, the plot, everything. But for some reason, neither boy could remember what had happened in the movie. Additionally, a classmate who was employed at the local movie theater told police with certainty that neither Brian or Tori had been at the theater that Friday night. So Gansky knew the teens are lying, but he wasn't sure why. Going through the research, I'm like, not looking good. You know what I mean? Yeah, these two are looking guilty, but why? I'm not sure why they would want to murder her. And how did they know that their friend wasn't spending the night if they were the people who murdered her? I've got a lot of questions, so we need to keep going. And I think Gansky did too, because he confronted Brian Draper about his lie, and he admitted that the pair hadn't gone to the movies that night. He told the detective he lied because they had actually been breaking into cars in the area and didn't want to get into trouble. To get to the truth, Brian Draper was asked to take a polygraph test, and he agreed. But before the test began, Brian became emotional and again asked to speak to the detectives. At this point, Brian Draper, with his parents in the room, began to tell detectives about the events that unfolded on the night that Cassie was murdered. He shared that he and Adam Check had gone back that night to scare Cassie by turning off the power to the home. Both teens wore masks to disguise their identities. But Draper claimed that he was shocked when Tori Adamchek began stabbing Cassie for real. According to Brian, it wasn't supposed to happen. It was only supposed to be a joke. It was then that the teen led detectives to an area near Black Rock Canyon. It was here that the pair had buried evidence from the night of the crime. Knives, gloves, and the mask that the teens wore were discovered. But one piece of evidence was the most startling, a videotape. The detectives were definitely interested to see what was on that tape and were afraid that they may be watching a murder play out in real time. They took it back to the station, put it in the VCR. The video opened in the hallway of their high school. There, in frame, near her locker, was Cassie Jo Stoddard. She was wearing jeans, a green shirt, and a white jacket, and she was filmed saying good morning to the camera. Then, the film cut to the two boys in the school library. In the video, the boys were creating a death list of hopeful victims as they discussed the plan for that evening. Draper is captured saying, I'm sorry to Cassie's family, but she had to be the one. We have to stick with the plan. Brian Draper and Tori Adamchek had come to Cassie's aunt and uncle's home that night to get a feel for the layout. When they left, they secretly unlocked a basement door so they could return later and sneak into the home. As the video continued, the boy sat in the car not far from the home. Unfortunately, we have the grueling task of killing our friends, Draper can be heard saying. Detectives fully believe that the pair would have also murdered Matt Beckham if he had not been picked up by his mother. Later, wearing masks and donning hunting knives, the teen snuck back into the home, cut the power again, and violently stabbed their friend to death. From there, the video picked up again in the car immediately after the murder. I just killed Cassie, Draper is heard saying on the tape. I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body. The video clearly showed that Brian Draper was an active participant in the murder of Cassie Jo Stoddard. So this is not a good look because Draper confessed at first and said, Adam Chick did it. I didn't know it was going to happen. And now there's this video where he's on camera planning to murder this girl in the car waiting to murder this girl. And then after they commit this terrible crime, the video picks back up and he's like, I did it. So it's like, it's kind of hard to be like, I had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah, I didn't do it. I was just there and I can't believe he did it. Like he was an active participant in murdering and stabbing Cassie. This is devastating. 
It's heartbreaking for sure. Yeah, it's terrible. Now, Tori Adamchick and Brian Draper were both arrested on September 27th, 2006. So it's pretty quick because the murder happened on the 22nd. So within five days, they were arrested. Both teens were charged with first degree murder as well as conspiracy to commit murder. At the trial, the teens painted the other as the villain. Each said that they thought they were just going to scare Cassie and that the other committed the murder. But then the transcript of the video was shared with the jury. In it, the pair described their desire to be famous killers. They referenced notorious serial murderers like the Hillside Strangler, Ted Bundy, and the Zodiac Killer. Additionally, Draper and Adam Check claimed to be inspired by Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, the Columbine High School shooters. The pair also referenced killing their friend, just like in the movie Scream. This evidence proved that both Brian Draper and Tori Adamchek were active participants in the planning and murder of Cassie Jo Stoddard. On April 17, 2007, Brian Draper was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Tori Adamchek was found guilty of the same charges on June 8, 2007. Both received life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole, plus 30 years to life for the conspiracy behind the murder. Now, 15 years later, Brian Draper agreed to an interview by phone with Dateline's Keith Morrison. In the interview, Draper stated that as a teen, he had a stutter and never really felt like he fit in, saying, quote, I felt like a nobody, and I felt like I'd be somebody if I did something, you know, big and bad. And according to Draper, he has regrets every day for taking Cassie's life. So that's this week's case. I mean, how are you feeling? It's heavy. Yeah, it is. And I thought I had it figured out. I was kind of like thinking this was going to be like a Blair Witch Project type where they record everything that happens and kind of turn it into a film of some sort. But that's not really how it turned out. Had these guys not been big into film and they'd not filmed all of this process and talking about it and what their plans were and how they were going to do it and, you know, their thoughts behind it, they might have gotten away with this. And, you know, Draper should feel terrible every single day for taking Cassie's life. There was no reason to take Cassie's life. And just how manipulative it was for them to show up at her aunt and uncle's house when they knew she'd be home alone and then plan to kill their guy friend too. Like now Matt probably feels even more terrible. Like this is just a really, really sad story. Yeah. And it's being that age and people that you trust, you know what I mean? People that you think are your friends and they're planning this like, terrible thing and what's really interesting to me as i was going through this is i'm a horror movie fan scream changed my life when that movie came out i was like it's so smart and it references all these other horror movies and i've never seen anything like it but there's a line in the end of that film that as i was going through it just kept playing in my head and it was movies don't create psychopaths movies make psychopaths more creative because there's this whole argument that like violent video games you know, yeah. horror films and all that stuff can turn people into these killers and things like that, where to me, it very obviously feels like there was something going on with these kids well before that wasn't being addressed. And they were getting inspiration from these things because of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is sad. Well, let's jump into it, Olivia. Where does this case fall on your deadbolt test? And I'm interested to hear this because I know that as we were going through, you were putting yourself in the shoes of 16-year-old you. So I'm really interested to hear where it falls through that lens. I'm giving this a 10. You know, I have been Cassie. I have house sat. I have had my high school boyfriend over. I've house sat in college and had, you know, my college boyfriend over. 
And I think that having these two guys come into her house and at some point they snuck away to unlock the basement door is just really manipulative and deceiving. But this is why our podcast is called Check the Locks. You know, I am that person who triple checks the door and make sure that if someone came over to my house, I lock the door when they come in. And, you know, when they leave, I double check the door. And then before I go to bed, I double check the door. But I was kind of, when we were going through the time frame of everything happening in the beginning, you were given real specific times. Like at, I think in the beginning, it was, they got dropped off at 5.30, and then around 8.30 is when the knock was on the door. And then it talks about it like, I think it was like 9.20, so between, so 50 minutes, the guys decide to leave. So in a matter of 50 minutes, give or take, they had mapped out this whole home unlocked the door and planned to come back and kill their friend and then kill their guy friend as well. And that just is very unsettling to me. It's disturbing. And to think that at 16 years old, that two people could be so capable of doing something like that scares me. And I'm not going to lie. If the power would have went out, I would have called my aunt and uncle and be like, I'm out. If they were cats, the cats could stay home. If it was a dog, the dog was coming to my house because I'm 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 a chicken. No, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, the other thing that was really interesting, I didn't really touch on it as we were going through, but, you know, they said that they were making noises in the basement. So they cut the power and they were making noises in the basement to try to scare her or lure her into the basement. I had been out the door in my car, gone, called my mom, locked in a bedroom. No one would have come and got me. Yeah. And I think if it would have been just one of them, you know, she may have had a better chance of getting away or, you know, we might not even be talking about this today, but. Mm-hmm. The other really crazy thing is for every episode, we put in our sources. And one of the sources for this episode, you can go and watch the video of these kids talking about doing this. And they look very much like 15, 16 year old kids, you know? And so it's adding an extra level of terror to it because they're talking about this in such a like nonchalant kind of way where they're just like, sorry, like Cassie's got to be the one. You know, we've, we've set the plan. We've picked her. She's the one. So I'm going to put it right up there with you. I'm going to go with the 10 because putting myself in the shoes of Matt, like I dated the same girl all through high school, mm-hmm. all four years, mm-hmm. you know, we house sat together. She had been at my house plenty. Like we've been alone plenty. Like this could easily happen to anybody, which mm-hmm. is crazy to think about. And then additionally, these are people who are supposed to be your friends I mean, this is something I would be scared of as like a 35-year-old, 36-year-old, you know, because you don't know what dark thing is going on in somebody's mind. I've been friends with you. I've known you since I was in like seventh grade and you're hanging out, like making a kill list. It's absolutely crazy. It just goes to show that we don't know anyone but ourselves. Like no one truly knows anyone all the way through. And also just as a species, the fact that we are like, I trust you. Yeah. Like, you're my friend. You know what I mean? Like, and then you could turn around and just kill me? Right. Or you could turn around and kill me. That's right, the crazy right, thing, right. too. Yeah. We just, women, women are serial killers, too. Yeah. It's just like we put our faith in this like, well, you seem like a good person. You know what I mean? I mean, luckily, most of the time it works out. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, it's just crazy to think that like. I'm doing a true crime podcast with someone I've never met in person. I know. Right. Like. Mm-hmm. My name could be Jeff. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, it's not. Your wife and daughter could just be a front. Some stranger right. you hire every week. That's what, you know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, she's I, cute. 
She's a cute four-year-old. I, <laughs> I find cute actors, but but yeah, it's just you know, it's you never know, you and never that's know. the one really common thing I think that we've hit on going through this pod. I mean, we're at thirty episodes, and how often have we talked about like you just never know, you know? Yeah, this was a good one, John. I kind of want to watch the video, and then I kind of don't. I don't think I'd sleep very well. And that was the other thing too, when he's like, "I carry regret every day." Well, it's like you lied to the police and said that I didn't do anything. So like, why am I supposed to believe you now? Because now he's kind of grown up maybe and realized like being big and bad and popular is not the end all be all that after you get out of high school, no one really gives a care who you are, what you did and how you did it. But they're going to remember you for being the murderer of your high school classmate. Well, I think the thing that made it suspect for me is that they filed appeals and both of the original appeals got denied. But as of 2021, they were trying to file through a higher court. No. I'm like, okay, are you saying this because you're genuinely remorseful? Or are you saying this because you're like, I'm trying to get this appeal to go through and I have to seem remorseful, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, that is where we land on the deadbolt test for the scream murder. But we want to know. Where does this fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, join the Facebook group. It's a great place to be. We just got our 2022 wrapped. I was mind blown to find out that we were in the top 15th percentile for most shared podcasts in the world, which is crazy. So if you are in the Facebook group, if you're sharing the show, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I mean, 26 countries for six months of episodes. It was insane. We're internationally known. I feel like Austin Powers. I'm an international man of mystery. Yeah. International podcast of true crime. Yeah. And all jokes aside, a hundred percent genuine. Thank you. Just being six months in and not knowing when we started this podcast, if anybody would listen, the fact that you all in the Facebook group are sharing the show. And even if you're not in the Facebook group, you're listening and hanging out with us every week. It just, it means so much. So really, really, really appreciate it. It's, it's very humbling. So thank you so much. Sincerely, Olivia, while this case was definitely a good one, in my opinion, and I think you feel the same way, it was very heavy. And I think we need to lighten things up a little bit. Do you have a five-star review for us this week? I do. And this week's five-star review comes from LM Cordell And the subject says, thank you for doing these. And they said, I'm hooked. I'm listening to all and can't wait to listen to more from y'all. So thank you, LM Cordell, for leaving us a five-star review. Let us know who you are so that we can send you some cool swag. Um, We got some really cool stuff. Had some Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals. Got some cool stuff. Yes, LM Cordell, thank you so much for taking the time to leave us that review. We talk about it every week, but those reviews help so much. They help us grow our community. They help us get in front of new listeners and really just kind of expand our family, which is what we are all about. So just like Olivia said, we would love to send you some stuff. Reach out to us again, Instagram, check the locks pod, Twitter, check the locks. If you're in our Facebook group, hit us up. We would love to send you some stuff. And if you are not a social person, that's not a problem. Head over to check the You can click the email button. Let us know where to send it. We'd be happy to get you some stuff. Speaking of check the we got a voicemail, Olivia. OMG. It's like they know it's my birthday. It is. It's a birthday voicemail. What? Who's singing me happy birthday? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> let's, get, let's get it. Hi, my name's Jay 
Casey, and I just want to say I love your podcast so much. I was scrolling through Olivia's page because, honestly, I did hear of her off of Married at First Sight, and I just saw some stuff about the podcast all over her page, and I listened to it, and I just love it. I listen to it all the time, and it's one of the only podcasts I can find that are actually well-researched and well-spoken, and I just I love it so much. Thank you, guys. Casey, thank you so much for that voicemail. I am a fan of Olivia's as well, so I completely understand why you would want to check out the show. I mean, it's got to make you feel kind of nice, right? Like people are like, oh, I love Olivia. Yeah, I love it. I love everybody. Thank you, JC. That was like the best birthday wish ever, even though you didn't know it was my birthday. So thank you. And if you would like to leave us a voicemail again, head over to checkthelockspod.com, hit that voicemail icon. You can leave us a voicemail or... Go into the show description, hit the link there. You can leave a voicemail right from the app that you are listening to this podcast on. So we would love to hear you, love to hear what you think, love to hear your voice. We just love them in general, and it makes Olivia's day much, much better. So leave us a voicemail. Also, if you want to financially support the show, we have a Patreon. So you can head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. We've got all sorts of different tiers. We have exclusive stickers, mugs. T-shirts, all stuff that you can only get from that Patreon. So if you can find it in your heart and in your wallet to financially support us, that would mean the world. If not, listen, times are tough everywhere. We completely get it. And just listening to the show means just as much, if not more to us. So if you're hanging out with us every week, you're telling your friends about the show, you're sharing it around, that means absolutely the world to us. Thank you so, so much. We really do appreciate it. That is it for this week's episode. Make sure you are joining us on Wednesdays for True Crime for the Short on Time. We will see you again next Monday with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to triple check your locks. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>